So delighted you're here as we have celebrated birth and new birth. And we're doing the last message in the series, Unsung Heroes of the Bible. I've saved the best to last. Each one, as we've spoken, we've had different ones that we wanted to share. But this, for me, is the greatest unsung hero of the Christian faith. And guess who it is? The Holy Spirit. Because who is the person of the Trinity who is the most neglected in our world? Think about it. And I'm talking about in the church. What we're going to do this morning is take a, a really quick journey through different scripture and look at who he is and then what he does. And let me just present this as I began. You don't have to be real sharp to know as we look at the church today in our world that there's something missing. As we read the Bible, as we study the book of Acts particularly and the epistles of the New Testament, it's obvious that something is missing. Why is the church today not being all that God designed and desires it to be? To be all that Jesus Christ died for us to have. And the answer, I believe, is we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to have his place in our lives. Now, understand, I know there's extremes on both sides. One extreme is, well, the Holy Spirit, and that's his neglect. We don't really know about him, so we're not going to know about him. And then the other extreme is, well, the Holy Spirit, he's everything, and and we're just going to give in to all that, and then it becomes chaos and confusion. Well, the truth is, it's in the middle. When the Holy Spirit has his place, everything works in a divine, amazing, orchestrated process. So first of all, in Genesis 1-2, I want to put references up for you this morning. Here's what it says. 1, verse 1 says, in the beginning, God. And verse 2 says, and the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. Now, I wanted to point out the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. And when we finish, you'll see that he is also mentioned in the very last chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22. He is the one, the thread of God the Father, God the Son, and how that all works out for us here in this world. And then in John 15, 26, it talks about the Trinity. If you read it, you'll see what it says. When the Helper comes, Jesus is talking to his disciples, whom I, so here's the Holy Spirit, here's Jesus I, will send to you from the Father, and the Spirit of truth will proceed from the Father, and he will testify of me. Do you understand this? If Jesus Christ is in your life, I'm not talking about your church membership, I'm not talking about anything you may have gone through at some point in time in your life, but if... The Spirit of God has brought you, and we'll talk about more in a minute, into a new relationship of new birth as we just celebrate with these precious children being baptized. 
then your life is changed and changed not just for now, but for all eternity. So I want to say very candidly to all of us, if you're here and you're proclaiming that you know Jesus and your life has not been changed, please do me a favor. And it's not just for me, it's for you. Take some time, get along with God. And determine whether or not you truly have a relationship with a holy God through his son, Jesus Christ, by the work of the Holy Spirit. There are a lot of folks who attend a lot of churches, sadly, who think that if I go through the rituals, if I go through the mechanisms that have been set up, then that's what it means to have a relationship with God. I'm sorry to tell you, that is not it. Are those those things important? Of course they are. Are we minimizing those? No, we're not going to. However, we need to understand that those are only as a result of us having this personal relationship with Christ. These precious children who were just baptized, if they didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that meant nothing. But because they do have a relationship with Christ, it means that they have presented to us today a picture of what it means to have a relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 3, most of us know John 3.16. Well, let me change that. I remember a day when almost anybody you encountered would know John 3.16. That's not the day we live in now, just so you know. But John 3, Jesus is talking about new birth. And he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. We're born in the flesh into this physical body. We just celebrated Jack's birth and dedication. And then we're born by the Spirit of God into a new birth, a new relationship as we just celebrate with baptism and what it means to have that new life. So here we are. God is doing that work of grace, that incredible work of grace. And in John 16, he says this. I tell you the truth, this is Jesus talking. It is for your advantage that I go away. But if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the paraclete. That's the Greek word, the one who comes alongside, the one who renders aid, the one who is helpful. And he is our helper. But the difference is, as Jesus says to them, now think about the disciples and how they felt about this. They've had this great time with Jesus. It's them and him. He said, they've had this, and now he's saying, but I'm leaving. You know that's got to be hurtful. I want my time with you, Jesus. We want our time with you, Jesus. He says, oh, but you don't understand. The one who's coming after me, it's going to be better for you because I'm on the outside. I can talk to you. I can speak to you. But the Holy Spirit's going to be on the inside, and he's going to be teaching you from the inside out. That's why... We can attend services for years and years and hear really good messages and wonder why our lives are never changed or transformed. And it's simply because the Holy Spirit doesn't have his place because he's the one who writes the truth of his word that he has inspired men to write onto our hearts. And as he does that, he makes it real and alive in us. And as that happens, then our lives are changed and transformed so that others can see the reality of who Christ is. 
Because what did he say? He's going to testify of me. He's going to talk about me. He's going to let the world know through our lives who he is and what he's done and why our lives are so important and so crucial, particularly in this time of history, to share the truth and the reality of Jesus Christ. That's who he exemplifies. That's who he brings to the surface. That's the one who works in us to bring glory to him. And that's in John 16, 14. In Acts 1, 8, Jesus has already died, been buried, rose again. He's getting ready to ascend into heaven back to the Father. He meets with his disciples and he says, you're going to be my witnesses. By the way, just so you know, he's talking to every person who knows Jesus Christ. Whether it was then or now, you'll be my witnesses. In fact, he says, you'll be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, here in Judah, in Samaria, and even to the whole world. He's talking to us. So let me pose a question. Is it possible for a person to know Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is living in us in an active fashion. And we can live our whole lives and never tell another person about Jesus Christ. Is that possible? It happens all the time. Something's wrong somewhere. You say, well, I, I just don't know what to say. Well, guess what? We have an instruction manual for that. It's called the Bible. We take the time to read what it says and then give application. That's why James says in his book, in chapter 1, be doers of the word and not hearers only. How sad it is that we can hear the word, as I said, well-crafted messages presented with dramatics and dynamic, and yet it doesn't seem to do anything for us. What is wrong with this picture? where we're not letting him have his place in our lives. So he says, you'll be my witnesses, but you'll do it only after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Don't rush it, he says to them. Wait till he comes. Well, guess what? In Acts chapter 2, day of Pentecost fully come, and the Holy Spirit shows up. In a dramatic fashion, remember now, the disciples and those with them are in the upper room. They're cowering behind closed doors. The people outside who are celebrating the Jewish celebrations of their day are the same ones who just crucified their Christ. And they're hiding because if they'll do that to him, what will they do to us? And the Holy Spirit comes. And listen to what it says. They were all together, and suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with one another in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Let's don't get into discussion about the charismatics and all the stuff that's there. The point is, something supernatural happened on that day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes as Jesus promised that He would. He appears to them in very dramatic, in a, a very dramatic way, and they were all filled. What does that mean? <laughs> it means that you're going to be changed. 
can't be the same. I'm sorry, you can't. You say, well, but I'm a moral person. Well, wonderful. Jesus said, if you even think it, it's wrong. There's a righteousness that comes with Christ that we can't have on our own. We can make do. We can work at it really hard. But on that day, the day of Pentecost, as they began to speak the languages, they moved out into the street to the very people who had crucified their Christ. And they began to proclaim, primarily Peter, in the language of the people who were there gathering for the festivals, this is what God did for you in the giving of his son. And they proclaimed the truth. And as people, because of the presence and work of the Holy Spirit, began to hear the truth. And now it's not just the formality of Judaism. They're hearing about God the Father who is a loving Father who gave His Son and sacrificed the great sacrifice. They understood the sacrificial system. They'd been doing it for all their lives. And now it had the meaning. All that before was a foreshadowing. Getting ready for this one that God had Planned before the foundation of the world. And here they are. And their lives are so changed and so transformed that they moved into what it says over 3,000 people accepted Christ that day. And they were baptized that day. And then they moved into this community of faith. And it says, and as God was working and moving their lives, the Holy Spirit was touching them. They were feeling a sense of awe and wonders and signs were taking place throughout the, or through the apostles. And all those, listen carefully, all those who had believed were together and had all things common. They began to sell their property. Remember, these folks had traveled long distances to be here for this incredible time of Jewish celebration. And now they're here and they're saying, oh, this is where we are. God has put us here. We don't know what all this is about. We're trying to figure out but we know our lives have been changed dramatically and we have been transformed and so they wanted to be together and they spent time together and they stole their they sold their stuff and they shared it with everyone and day by day listen to this listen carefully day by day continuing with one mind in the temple have you ever thought about a church one mind I don't know what your political persuasion is, and it's not the point of my illustration. But many years ago, when Mike Huckabee was running for president, he was asked this question. For those who don't know, Mike Huckabee was a Baptist pastor prior to running for political office. And he was asked the question, what qualifies you to be the president of the United States? His answer was, have you ever moderated a business meeting in a Baptist church on Wednesday night? I've moderated a few of those meetings over the years. They were in one mind. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was in charge. The reason there's so much conflict and confusion in the church today is because we want what we want. We want it our way. We want it in our time. No different than the world. Rather than spending time on our face before God, asking God what is it that He wants, we're just all about expressing our desires, our wants, our likes, our dislikes. But these guys were hanging out day by day. With one mind, breaking bread together, house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people as the Lord was adding to their numbers day by day. Now, 
That's them. Let's look at us. Ephesians 5, verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine. How you doing on that one? Ran into somebody the other day. And we got to talking about drinking. And you have to understand, I was a drunken sailor, so I know a little bit about it. It's been a while. And he said, oh, but I just drink wine. That's what, I'm not saying you can't drink wine. That's not the point. It says, don't get drunk with it. So how you doing? Don't get drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. When we drink the wine to the point or any alcohol or any drug or whatever that controls us, the Apostle Paul is using that as a comparison. That when the Holy Spirit has his place in our life, he is in control. And because he is in control, he begins to make those revelations and truths of God to be real for us. And it makes a difference in how we respond in life. I'm going to give you some illustrations. 2002, many of you know that I listened to a guy named Rick Renner. He's a pastor in Moscow, an American who's a pastor in Moscow. In 2002, he and his family had planned a vacation in South India. They'd look forward to it. They'd plan for it. They were so wanting to get away from the trials of ministry and have this relaxing time in South India. And the closer and closer they got to the time of their vacation, the more and more Rick had this check in his spirit. Don't do this. Don't do this. To the point that he finally said to his wife and sons, we cannot go on this trip. The Holy Spirit of God is saying, do not go on this trip. And they didn't go. Remember the tsunami that hit South India? They were going to be staying in Sri Lanka. It was basically wiped out. 230,000 people lost their lives in that tsunami. Would there have been casualties? No way of knowing for certain, but very potentially so. 2005, this church was gracious enough to give Sheila and I a trip to Europe, having served here for 25 years. We landed in London, had an enjoyable time there, and then went the rest of the trip and then flew back to the States. The next week, the next week, friends of ours were in London. They're in a taxi. They're getting ready to get on the subway, which is called the Tube. And as they're getting out of the taxi, the husband says to his wife, we can't get on the Tube. We can't get on the subway. And no offense to wives, but she said, well, why not? You know, you got to have 16 reasons. I'm kidding. He goes, I'm just telling you, we're not supposed to get on the tube. And they got back in the taxi and the explosion took place that the terrorist had planted on the subway. Two thousand excuse me, excuse me. Two thousand eleven. A normal night. May night in Chester, South Carolina, at our house. What happens on a normal night at our house? I go to bed early. My wife stays up a little later and watches TV, as she did that night. 
she fell asleep. She woke up. She would normally walk through the den into the hallway back to the bedroom. But on this night, as she got, she woke up and she got up, it's like two o'clock in the morning. And then rather than walking across the den, something told her, don't go that way, go this way. As she stepped from the den into the dining room, the storm that was raging outside put a tree in our house. And guess where the bulk of it landed? On the sofa where she had been lying. That's the things of God. Now, every example I'm going to give you is not quite that dramatic. Let me give you some others. Not too many months ago, Dr. Sam Thomas, our friend from India, was here visiting. And while he was here, people were blessed and challenged by the Holy Spirit. And as a result of giving, I have here the list of three wells. And by the way, those are important in India more than we think of here. We think of turn the tap and we got water. That is not the case in so many places in India. In fact, when I made my first trip there in 1986, I was in Kota, India. Over a million people in that city, they turned the water on for one hour a day. You got what you got in that hour that was it. Many of the villages do not have wells. And so since he was here, the money given by you guys has dug three wells. And the money given by this church family and one family in particular was so gracious, we have built two churches. The wells have been dug and they're functioning and the two churches have now been completed and people are worshiping there. The Holy Spirit does that. We don't just say, oh, I got money, I'm going to give it away. No, that's not how most of us work. Say, well, that's pretty cool. Let me give you another story. Faith comes by hearing. Remember the challenge we had from faith comes by hearing? And so this church, as a church family, decided to give $42,500 to faith comes by hearing. And that money is being used to translate the Bible into a language that previously did not have a written or audio New Testament in their language. These things I'm mentioning to you now are eternal. You say, well, that's kind of out of my grasp. Well, let me help you out with that. I have here an article from Hope Comes, uh, Hope, Hope Givers, which is um, Dr. Sam Thomas's organization. And in this article is a write-up about a young man named Kyler Donaldson. He's here, by the way, in, in our building right now because he's one of our kids. He attended the conference. He heard the challenge by Dr. Thomas, and one of the challenges was take a soda can, fill it with change, and turn it in, and he did. He filled his up with $70 of his own money and gave it as a gift that was used in India to help others. There's nothing too big, nothing too small. But the point, my whole point of this is, as we listen to the Holy Spirit, as we glorify Jesus Christ, and He is in charge of our life, it makes all the difference in the world. And when we are so selfish with ourselves, our time, our energy, and our money, that's not glorifying to Christ. I'm just telling you, it's not. 
So we get to make that choice every day. It's not just these are specific things I pointed out, but there's so many things as we have the gifting of the Holy Spirit in Galatians 5, or the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and then the gifting in 1 Corinthians 12. That's the Holy Spirit working in us in supernatural ways because as you look at all of this, the one thing you have to say is, this was supernatural. And this makes a difference in somebody's life. And sometimes it makes a difference in people's lives that we will never see. Except maybe when we see them in in eternity. Is that not crazy, crazy good? So we've had baby dedication. We've had baptism. Well, we just planned a full day. We're going to have communion. For those who've never had communion with us, we do it by intention. We'll have teams that will be set up at five different locations in the auditorium. And you can go to any of those locations. You'll take the bread, you'll dip it, and then you and your family will step aside. Because as you saw a father baptize his kids, we believe that dads are the priests of the families. And we understand that not every family has a dad, sadly. We do this to honor Christ and to demonstrate the reality of our submission to him. So let me read for you the Apostle Paul and his writing in 1 Corinthians about the Lord's Supper. For I received this from the Lord, that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he had been betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Every person who's been in church for any period of time hopefully has gone through the sacrament of communion. Paul has some other writing in this scripture. Therefore, he says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. Really? He said that? It's here. Shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in doing so, he is then to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Or this isn't just a formality. It's a reality. That any time any of us partake of communion, the Lord's Supper, it is a time of self-evaluation. It's not time for a morbid introspection. But it's a time of allowing the Holy Spirit to say to us, because we are his kids, father's kids, and the Holy Spirit can say to us, this is something in your life that's not really lined up with the Father. I want you to deal with it. Deal with it now. For he goes on and says, for those who eat and drink, do so in judgment against themselves. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and even are dead. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not be condemned along with this world. That's how crucial this is. So let's take some time. You've heard this morning about the work of the Holy Spirit. 
how he glorifies Christ. Glorifies the Father. And some of the things that should be happening in our lives because of this relationship, this intimacy that we have with Jesus Christ. So take some time. Our couples are going to be moving to their stations as we're praying. And then as I finish this prayer, I'm going to ask you just to get up as we have soft music in the background and make your way to any of these locations. And then as you take the bread, dip it in the juice, and you step aside with your family. And by the way, if you don't have a family, find one. Just say, hey, I'm going to join yours today. Or if you see somebody standing by themselves, make them a part of your family. This is not about us just trying to isolate people. But all of this... Is for us to take the time to allow the Holy Spirit to shine His light in our life and anything that's there. Maybe unforgiveness? Seems to be a big one in church. I don't get that. We're the forgiven people and we have trouble forgiving others. Whatever it is. I'm not going to give you a list. That's not the point. But whatever it is that God shows you, just, Father, forgive me. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's just, he's just and right to forgive us our sins. He cleanse us from all righteousness so we can go ahead and then partake of communion together with our family. So, Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for the love that you showed us in the giving of your son, Jesus. And thank you, Jesus, for the way you have dealt with us so that we can know you and Holy Spirit that you have that place that Jesus said you would have so that we honor and glorify you. So let us right now, Holy Spirit, anything in any of our lives that is contrary to the will or the word of God, let that be taken care of. We confess it, we repent of it in Jesus' name. And we just want to partake with you, Lord, of saying this bread represents your body and this juice represents your blood. And we, want, we know how important it is that we identify with you and with each other. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.